Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey, everybody, this is See It to Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger. I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. I didn't even know those jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models and jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Dimple Shaw. She's an agile coach. She's practically my neighbor here in central Indiana, and she is delightful. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I'm back again in collaboration with Living Corporate to bring you all another career tip. This week, I want to talk to you about making your presence known at work. With many of us trying to advance our careers, it's necessary that we make ourselves known in the workplace. Most of us think that if we keep our head down and just do our work, that our contributions will be enough to be recognized. But you can't expect to be considered for opportunities if no one in the workplace even knows who you are or what value you provide. There are so many ways you can begin to increase your presence in the workplace. Since employees and their efforts can so easily get lost in the day-to-day shuffle, it could be as simple as setting up a bi-weekly or monthly one-on-one with your boss. This way you're able to ensure they're aware of what you're working on, what you've accomplished, and you can even figure out how you can assist them. You could take it a step further and even set up regular check-ins with teammates for a little extra razzle-dazzle. When starting a new job, you can make the intentional effort to introduce yourself to people in the office and ask what they do. This could definitely come in handy later when you find yourself in a bind. If you've been at your office for a while, this could look like office networking, joining employee resource groups, and attending team events. Another great way to make your presence known is by speaking up at team meetings, offering solutions or assistance with some of the problems other team members may be experiencing. You can also speak up in town halls or company-wide meetings, asking leaders of your organization intentional questions and or offering well-thought-out solutions could solidify your spot on the next big company-wide project. You never know. Remember, in order to become the next leader of your organization, you have to understand and leverage the power of your presence. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. 
Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Welcome back to See It To Be It. My guest today is Dumple Shaw. Dumple is an optimistic go-getter who's passionate about helping people achieve their goals by creating a better version of themselves. She entered the world of agile coaching unexpectedly. And after she learned how being agile aligns with her goals and ethics, she's been making leaps into the agile world. Dimple loves seeing the aha moments when people she's working with realize their self-worth and feel valued. Now she's on a journey to combine her passion to make the world a better and happier place to live in with a servant leadership philosophy, all while being agile. Dimple, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm thrilled to be here. So I want to just start, there are a lot of folks listening who are not, not IT folks, they don't have a background in technology or software development, and they probably don't know what Agile is. And I've had other, I think I had an Agile project manager on the show a few episodes ago, but can we just start with what does Agile mean? Agile with a capital A. Yeah, thank you so much for asking that question, Amy, because um, Agile seems like a new buzzword, so everyone wants to be a part of it, and somehow, sometimes they don't know what they don't know, so they have this perception of what Agile is. So Agile is basically a mindset. It's to simplify it for people who've never heard about Agile, I would start by saying that how in a traditional project management world, you work on projects, build plans around delivering them, keep track of deadlines and such. Agile is similar, but not, (laughs) but at least now you have a comparison. So basically it is so much more than just delivering projects in a tangible way. It is about how you change your mindset towards delivering. So think of Agile as an umbrella, and there are several frameworks under that umbrella that constitute um, the tangible delivery inside it. So once you change the mindset on how you want to work on things, how you want to deliver, how you deliver more often, how you work as a team, how you place people over the processes, how you document but not as so much that you don't have time to work around it. Frameworks give a structure around all those thoughts. But Agile is so much more like the smaller A Agile, right? It's change, flexibility. That is what the Agile with a capital A is. It is so much about just we as Agile coaches, we have to get into people's minds to show them why working and thinking a different way could help them deliver those projects better. That would be a really quick overview of Agile. Did did that help? Yeah, it did. And so let me put this in terms, I think people outside of IT might understand a little bit better. So the traditional way to build a house would be that you work with an architect, you work with a a contractor, right? And then you have this whole plan of when the thing's going to be done and they stack all of the work so that everything that has to come later comes later and you wait however many months it takes and then you move into this nice finished house, right? That's a corollary to the old style of IT project management. Absolutely. 
if you think about, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but if you think about the way some structures are being built now, you might start with a prefab box that's a tiny home that's modular. And the contractor comes in and clears the lot and puts that on the lot the first sprint, first two weeks, four weeks. And you have something you can live in immediately. And then maybe the next two to four weeks, the contractor comes in, they bring another modular box and they set it up next to it and they connect the thing and they run the plumbing to that. And it just keeps adding on so that you have something that's constantly evolving while you're using it. Is that a decent corollary, real world corollary? Yes, it definitely makes sense. One of the ways that we also try to explain agile and agility is a similar analogy to what you said. If I am trying to get to point A to point B, right? The first thing I need to think is how I'm going to go there if I don't want to walk there. So the first iteration or the first uh, release deliverable could be a skateboard. It has wheels. It'll help you get here from there. The next, when we build onto it, the next iteration could be you build a bike. The wheels stay, you build a bike, you can still get from A point A to point B. The third step could be having a sedan. It will fulfill your purpose on getting one destination to another. And then you have all those bells and whistles, you get a Porsche or a Corvette, whatever you want. But the point is to have an iterative release of a potential, uh, potentially, excuse me, shippable product. So every release, it could be determined by whatever the group decides, if it's once every three months or once every couple of months, it, ha- when it can be delivered only if it is usable. So did that analogy help a little bit? Yeah, I think so. So let's talk about then what is the role of an agile coach? My understanding is you work within a company and you work with different project groups within the company to help them adapt their mindset to this new delivery model. But there are some agile coaches that work across companies, right? They're independent work across companies. So can you talk a little bit about your responsibilities as an agile coach? Agile coaches, they start working by whatever they are placed on. It could be a team coach or scrum masters are also one way or the other. They are agile coaches because they are responsible for bringing that mindset within the team that they are working with. My role specifically is I'm on the global IT team. So our IT department is like the hub of different IT pockets for our company that is uh, that has different IT pockets all around the world. I'm in the global IT. My responsibilities are basically assisting our team and our leadership team with the agile mindset and helping them manage their own backlog is what we call for the work that we have in our pipeline and help them with psychological safety. There are so many small nuances that do not have tangible results. Like you don't see a product or you don't have a document as an output of that, but it's so much more important to the success of the team. My other responsibility is working with our team, our counterparts in Asia and help them with the mindset shift. So helping them on what's working for them. I like to call it from twos. So from 
just waiting to see the product at the end of two years and having unhappy customers and they go, my God, this is not what I asked for. Two, how you can feel safe and more connected to your stakeholders, just as an example. A very high level snapshot of my duties. Yeah, that's a powerful shift because a lot of times in companies, in big companies especially, and I know you work for a very large global company, the people doing the work have a huge impact on the customers, on the people who are going to use the product, but they don't always have a direct or even an indirect line of communication to the customers. One of the things that I teach in my networking course is no matter where you are in the company, you need to know a customer, not an internal customer, but an outside the company, somebody who trades money for the goods and services your company provides, customer, because what they want and need and experience should always be the true north for the work that you're doing. That's your guiding star. Mm-hmm. And that's an element of agile, I think, that gets lost sometimes. And even I forget about that is in the old model of IT delivery, it was like a telephone game. Somebody talked to the customer, they wrote down what they th- thought the customer maybe wanted, not necessarily what the customer said, but what the cust- what they think the customer needs, right? There's some translation that goes on. There's more translation that goes on. That gets translated into a specification, which gets translated into technology. Then we run into some sort of technical limitation. There's another translation. And by the time it gets back to the customer, they may not recognize it anymore. So there's a lot of telephone game, like you said, happening where the information is passed from person to person. The other beauty of agility is all of us, they are placed in this one big bucket. So I don't mean like 30, 35 people getting in there and having meetings to talk about what meant. We have representations from internal or external customers. We have internal business partners as well because IT is essentially just the back end. We interact with marketing, we interact with accounting. We talk to them so that they know what their clients want and then deliver. We have representation. So one of the frameworks in Agile is Scrum. So scrumming, huddle, like football. We have all the skill set on the team. So it's not like the developer develops something and then hands it over to the tester and then the tester push it back so you didn't develop it correctly. All of us are in a huddle and we learn to work with different personalities, different skill sets, different opinions. And that is why Agile is hard because we work more than just the skill set. We have to work with the personalities. We learn how to work as a true team. And oftentimes, that is why people feel that an agile transformation could be slow. But the transformation essentially isn't complete ever because you learn so much about each other and the right way of delivering that you're just inspecting yourself and others and processes and then you adapt and you find better ways to not only deliver the product, but you also learn better ways to communicate with each other. Simple, I wanna switch gears just a little bit and ask you, how did you get to this place in your career? Agile is relatively new within the last 10, 15 years. Did you start out in an Agile environment or? did your career predate Agile? So I have been in the IT industry for, gosh, about 
think around 18 years or so now. I started off as a developer. I was completely IT. I evolved, I've done business analysis, and then uh, I've been a PM. And uh, a few years back in one of my companies, we had a successful delivery. I was a PM on that project and it included 50 different like buckets literally because of stakeholders, because we had to work with uh, consultants and multiple uh, people role on this consultant team. And we were replacing like three systems with a brand new cloud system and was never done in house. And the project went very well. So I was asked what I wanted to do next. Now my company had this new initiative, how these organizations, they want to go agile. So that was going to be the start for us where they bought in outside agile companies, consultants to help us work on a different program to deliver with the agile mindset. Now at that time, little did we know that what we were thinking was not true agility. So the coach who came in at the time, he observed a little bit about all the different teams and then he proposed building a pilot team so that he can train them. And he picked me as the scrum master. And I always have been like so fast paced. So waterfall sometimes used to make me nervous because I'm very, I could be pushy. I literally had to tell yeah, and I just, I want to be clear, waterfall is the old way of doing. Waterfall is the old way. Thank it's you. the old methodology that IT folks used to use to deliver projects. It was that kind of telephone game. Because a lot of the folks listening to this won't have a lot of the terminology. So thank you for asking that question. Sure. Sometimes we are guilty, Who people who've been in this industry for so long, we make assumptions and people understand when we're talking. <laughs> of course. And as a PM, you're the project manager. So you're the conductor of the orchestra of the right. people that are delivering the work. Right. A project manager's manages the project essentially and then when I was asked to be a scrum master on the agile world I just was like oh yeah I've worked on projects as project manager before and I could do this and just I was so wrong because this here there was this fabulous coach and I was tied to the hip with him and he started showing me what all I had it wrong and we worked together we were inseparable for some time because he was building me as a scrum master on the pilot team. And then while he was getting ready to leave after three months or so, he just told me, Dimple, you know, you would be really good doing what I do for a living. So I entered this world accidentally. I had no idea. When I got on the program, if you would have told me that this is how my career is going to turn in six months time, actually, I would have not believed you. And ever since I feel like I'm running 120 miles an hour. So I've been very fortunate that I've been getting a lot of these opportunities and responsibilities. But yeah, I've also learned in all this time that this is often overlooked as one of the most difficult job because it, you have to work with people's brains and help them understand why thinking differently would, is good for them. It would make them happier at their workplaces. Yeah, I think a lot of times we go into people who go into IT because code is easy. Not code, I don't want to say coding is easy, but code is easy. You tell it what to do and it does it. Then we get to a place in our careers where we have to work with people. People don't do what you tell them, do mm -hmm. they? <laughs> yeah, it's one of the hardest uh, jobs that I, I think I've ever had, but it's one of the most challenging and rewarding. 
because in the end when people wake up in the morning and they're like oh yeah yeah we're going to work then there my my job is done even if i'm able to change just one of that mindset one mindset at a time actually and i would imagine that given the position that you're in where you live and where you work there's a a bit of a not just the learning curve of agile but there's also some cultural and interpersonal uh the word I'm looking for, hurdles that you face. Because as a woman in IT, that can be very difficult. I was a woman in IT for a number of years. I was, you know, told, oh, you're really analytical for a girl. And it was almost like somebody patting me on my head and like pushing me away. As a woman of color, there's another level of hurt. You also are not, you're in IT, but you're in the manufacturing industry, which is very male dominated, very disproportionately white male. You're also located in the Midwest, not too far from me in central Indiana, which probably doesn't provide a huge sense of community for you just geographically. So I would imagine that there are a lot of layers to you being able to reach your goals professionally and helping others do the same. Is that fair to say? It is absolutely fair to say you made me nostalgic <laughs> because the road to getting here was definitely not easy, um, especially having this multiple layers of sectionality and difference. And there's a lot of unconscious bias, but a lot of even conscious pushbacks that I have received, not necessarily well in words as well, but also in body language, also in how I have gripped myself through in situations. So yeah, I have, when I first landed in this country, gosh, 16 years back, I started, I've always been in Midwest. So I also have heard students yelling things to us when I was doing my MBA on the campus. I started to learn that this is how my life is going to be. I tried to like navigate through those waters and after I got my job, there were several instances, Amy, what gosh, I could tell you on how I used to think, wow, did they just say that? <laughs> and coming back home and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Do even licensing office everywhere, not just at work. But yeah, my couple of my favorites have been, uh, there was some people who were their self-declared mentors because they wanted to watch over me because I was scrappy and I was um, motivated. And <laughs> I, I have denied projects when I realized that happened only because they wanted to control the way I talk and the way I, one of my other favorite, and gosh, please tell me if it's too straightforward, because as you can tell by now, I'm a straight shooter. One of my companies I worked with, there was a gentleman, middle-aged white guy and I thought he was a very good friend of mine and we started chatting and I think few months in he started asking me about India that's where I'm originally from and he said there are a lot of people in India right and I'm like yeah I'm India because we were very good friends by then or so I thought and he I thought we were just sharing so I was like yeah it's like very populated and second to China blah 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 and he's like, oh is that why you're here <laughs> and he started laughing and I just didn't have anything to respond to him. I just gently walked away. But yeah, this is just, I think, one of the very many experiences I've had. But by now, I'm just quite resilient. Anyone who works with me knows that. 
Yeah, I think it's important that to to your point, you said I'm a straight shooter and I hope it's okay that I say this. I think it's important that we have these conversations. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't realize. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to be fair. A lot of times people do realize the harm they're inflicting on others. Mm -hmm. But I think often they do not realize. And their perspective is limited. Maybe they've never lived outside the area that they grew up in. I know that's pretty true for me. I haven't gone very far from where I grew up. They don't necessarily have broad and diverse networks or broad and diverse influences on their thinking. They go at things with the approach that they're going to show other people how to exist in the world, not learn how to exist in the world from other people's perspectives. And I think having these conversations helps people see how damaging those kinds of attitudes can be and that they don't come across as cute or funny or helpful, that they're really being exclusive, that they're making people feel undervalued, that they're, you know, damaging their own careers in the process. And it, I think it's hard for people to see that in themselves sometimes. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more. Some of my uh, closest friends I've made over the years, they are American. So several folks, they're just so nice and they just, most of it, I would say even, I wouldn't say even 50-50, I think more than 50% of them, it's unconscious, unconscious, excuse me, bias, where they don't realize and it takes as little as, oh, this is what they said and this is how it came across. Oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like last week, I was in one of these sessions, workshops where a gentleman accidentally pronounced, well, wrote someone's name wrong. Now everything is virtual. And that person, I know for a fact, he is one of the most aware person with respect to diversity, I would say. So time and again, he would check with me if he said something right or whatever. And he accidentally misspelled this lady's name on the call. And the person who was facilitating the other co-host he just said, hey, by the way, you just have uh, two L's. There's one L in there. And then it was just as simple as that lady realizing that her name matters. The way her name is spelled matters. And she was not even, she didn't even say anything. But the fact that this gentleman stepped in and just pointed out that simple thing, it meant a lot to me because those were the small things that I have ignored. People have asked me, like, how do you pronounce your name? And I'm like, it's an English word. So once I know the intention of when they are asking, because they assume that I'm from India. So, you know, pronunciation can vary. And I respect that. But there have been people who say that and then they laugh about it. And that's when I just respond to them that, yeah, it's an English word. People who genuinely ask, I help them. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's just as simple as that. And most of that is unconscious bias. They don't realize that just because they see I'm of a different color. They just make an assumption and they don't want to offend me in the process. So they double check if they have pronounced my name. I think it's important that that people have community in their work. Since you work in an industry where you are probably underrepresented in the executive ranks, you work in a field within that industry where you are underrepresented in the executive ranks. You live in a community that is not as diverse probably Mm -hmm. as a lot of places in the country. And not only that, but it's outside your home country. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of, there are a lot of different levels um, Mm -hmm. to what I would imagine can get pretty isolating. Mm -hmm. 
Where do you go for community? How do you rejuvenate yourself and how do you recharge? For one, we have our huge social circle. So we often are sounding boards for each other. We have a great support uh, group. We celebrate all our festivals that helps us uh, stay connected to our culture. Oftentimes during our festivals, people who notice, they immediately ask me because I dress traditional at work and they're like, oh, what is that? And when they are curious, I'm very open. I've always been open. If they ask me questions and I sh they show some interest and I'd be happy to answer any questions that they have. So that, that has been my uh, habit, but it is also to bring in some diversity to the place wherever I go. So people who are interested, they find out more because at a lot of, in their defense and everyone's defense, I'm in a different country. They don't know what they don't know until they see something or hear something or read something or talk to someone who can openly share about these things. That's one. And then if I ever face some of these situations, I just, it depends on who I'm working with. If I feel that the person has a strong bias that cannot be overcome at this point, we all have to pick our battles. So if it's a battle that I want to pick at that time, then I would have conversations. If it's not, then we find out a way to go around it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Are there any organizations or associations that you belong to that you feel a real connection to or that you feel like you can really just be yourself when you're there? We have a Hindu temple in Indianapolis that we often visit. There is another temple in Ohio. We sometimes just take that drive for two and a half hours or so when we feel that, yeah, we just want to be more connected to our God and our religion and stuff. And uh, there's an Indian association, and then I belong to a traditional, I've been dancing with a dance group for five years that have uh, only traditional, only Bollywood songs. And I also belong to one of our religious organizations. So I used to be a teacher on that religious organization for about two years, and then life happened, work happened, but my son still goes to that school, religious school, and they're doing a fabulous job to help us feel that belonging in our uh, religion and our community, but also help and build all those cultural values in our kids. Yeah. And I forget sometimes that the disconnect that children have from their culture, if they are immigrants or if their parents are immigrants and how important that is to maintain that connection, because you don't want children feeling like they're drifting or mm -hmm. adrift. And I think it's wonderful that you've been able to find a place that can connect your son and help ground him a little bit more in the same kind of culture and values and traditions that, that you grew up in mm -hmm. presumably and, and want to have that continue, not just within your house, but broader or more broadly, I guess I should say. And so Dimple, is there anything that you would advise people as they're thinking about their careers, as they're thinking about their workplaces, anything that you wish that people knew? I wish people would, and everyone's different, but I wish people would just take charge of their lives. Sometimes asking just a simple question, it just has such a great impact. And that is what I keep telling my team to, I coach them. One of the things I told them is, if you ask, you may have a chance. 
you do not have a chance if you just choose not to ask. I have so many examples in my life where I just gathered that courage sometimes to do things publicly, or it could be as simple as sending a LinkedIn message or a text message and things have worked out. Yeah, a lot of things have not worked out, but they wouldn't work out if I don't try. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. (laughs) And I no, I think that's so important. And a lot of times we wonder if something's possible and if we would just ask, we could make it real. Yeah. And one of the places that I work, when I told you about this pilot team, we were bringing in the management to see how we were doing. So we started bringing in the CIO and the department head and everything. And I thought about, I thought about this and I was like, I wonder if the CEO will respond to my invitation. And I just sent a note and he responded and he came in. He would not have come in if I wouldn't have asked. And it was just for the team to show him what his company is doing. There was no agenda. There was nothing else. It was just him interacting with the way the things were delivered. And oftentimes people ask, how did you do that? And I was like, I just went with the assumption that he might not respond or he might not have time, but I wouldn't have known if I wouldn't have asked. Like last month or few months back, I was on a sabbatical and someone reached out to me while I was in India on a personal stuff that was going in my family. And she just on me somehow, I don't know. And she just asked me if it was a job opening she saw. And even when I was on sabbatical, I just connected her to my boss. And now she is working with us on our company. She wouldn't have figured it out if she wouldn't have reached out. This was a job that she really liked. And if she wouldn't have taken that chance to reach out to a stranger, then she wouldn't have found the job that she really loves now. So it's as simple as just ask. You never know what might come out of it. Absolutely. I, and I'm trying to adopt that mindset too, that as soon as I know what it is I want to ask for, And sometimes that's the hardest thing is even knowing, Mm -hmm. what do I ask for? But once I know, who do I ask? And then go do it. Yeah. And also one very important thing is if it's the right thing to do, there is so many political jargons or political complications or diversity thoughts or, oh my God, should I do this? Should I do this? If you think truly believe what you're doing is ethically the right thing to do it. Yeah. Don't wait for permission. Just get Mm -hmm. it done. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Dimple, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It has been a pleasure getting to know you. And I know that we have some offline talks about potentially working together. And I'm curious as to how we can apply an agile mindset to the work that I do in my mm-hmm. real life. And so I'm just really excited to talk to you more. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me here, Amy. I had so much fun chatting with you. I do look forward to working with you as well. Wasn't Dimple amazing? What I enjoyed about this interview is how straightforward she is and how passionate she is about the mindset change that comes with a methodology change in her work. Having worked in IT for a couple of decades, I know how hard it is to make that shift. And I love that there are people like Dimple in the world, helping people like I used to be uh, make that mindset shift so they can be more effective in their roles and deliver better products, better technology to their companies and their customers. 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And hey, you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe you're looking at the app and thinking, there are only five stars. Give us all those, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you liked about the guest or the episode. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It To Be It is brought to you in part by Lead At Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping companies win the competition for talent and customers for the long term. Lead at any level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It To Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.